But how I got that job it really has informed a lot about who I am, uh, how I how I uh, how I approach life, how I approach challenges, where I get my courage from. Yeah. So I get I get a call from a friend who is a board member there, um, and he says to me, "You have a new job opening up the, at the Science Center for a uh, a." a director of our first capital campaign. And you do all kinds of volunteer work, you raise all kinds of money, you do great work in the community. I think you should go in, you should go for this job. And I say to him, what's a capital campaign? Yo, Carl, what's up, man? Sean, happy Friday. Happy Friday. How are you doing, sir? I am doing fantastic. I, uh, I, uh, this morning we got a brand new dump of snow and, um, I was looking to change it up a bit with my, uh, with my morning yoga routine. So I took my exercise outside and I pounded away, shoveling the snow, even my neighbor's, uh, driveway as well. So, um, yeah, I felt, uh, refreshed and charged up this morning. Uh, way to turn, you know, the, the cold and the snow into something uh, positive. I got a great workout this morning. How about you? Uh, no, no, you're better than me. I said enough. I didn't shovel. I'm just that I said enough. It's going to have to melt on its own. One way or another, it's going to have to disappear. I, I did lakes today, believe it or not. And then I want, went upstairs and I saw all the snow and I was like, okay, I'm not doing it. I, oh, I so you're exercising. I, I exercise, but not that. I just, no more, no more. But <laughs> well, Sean, you're good. I'm going to have to ask you if you can come help me because uh, I, I'm not doing it today. I, I told myself I am not shoveling. But happy Friday just the same. Happy Friday just the same, yeah. Maybe I'll get my son to come and uh, burn some of that energy out on your driveway. So, awesome. So, uh, welcome everybody to a brand new episode of As Is To Be, where we unpack transformation, whether that be with our careers, our personal lives, ourself, um, and we share their stories um, of um, inspiring people from right around the world. Um, we have, a, I'm your co-host, uh, Sean Achimpong, Digital Transformation Specialist. Uh, and I'm Carl Reed. I go by Creed. I'm also a Digital Transformation Specialist. Right on. And we have a really exciting guest today that I'm really humbled and uh, inspired and happy to introduce today. Um, her name is Jennifer Bernard. Uh, Jennifer, thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so let me uh, tell you a little bit about Jennifer. So Jennifer is a certified fundraising executive that has held senior leadership positions with a variety of world-class organizations across uh, the charitable and non-for-profit landscape, helping achieve, you know, outstanding financial results and impacting communities. And this is right around the nation. Um, in addition, Jennifer is also a proud mother of two boys. Uh, she's an active public speaker and passionate volunteer and mentor. Uh, she's uh, chair-elect for the Association of Fundraising Professionals, GTC chapter, uh, the largest fundraising chapter in the world, if, um, which is really cool. Um, a member of the Black North Initiative, CEO of the Pledge Committee, and a member of the International Women's Forum uh, Canada. And the, it doesn't stop there. She's so much more about her that we're going to unpack. In December, in December of 2020, um, Jennifer was recognized as one of 
the top 100 most powerful women in Canada and presented with an inclusion Vanguard award by the Women's Executive Network. Fantastic. Amen. Amen. <laughs> well done, Jennifer. Um, a few other things about her um, that really set the tone. Uh, this award recognizes an individual, regardless of their gender identity, who has made a profound, thoughtful, and measurable impact on diversity within their organization and a broader community to achieve stronger, more inclusive Canada. Um, in 2018, she was also recognized as one of the 25 most influential women in Canada by Women of Influence, joining a list of trailblazing women who have significantly impacted Canadian society. And finally, in her spare time, she enjoys spending time hiking, <laughs> trails, gardening, and traveling. Crazy that you have all of this uh, on the go. And <laughs> so such wonderful uh, hobbies on the side. So thank you again, Jennifer. Thank you so much. What a wonderful introduction, Sean. Um, when you say it all condensed like that, um, it makes it sound, uh, you know, really, really big, but it's really a lifetime of work. And, uh, you know, it's it's been a wonderful journey. Excellent. Yeah, Excellent. yeah, absolutely. Jennifer, we go back. We go back. Oh, so before, <laughs> so Sean, um, like I was saying, one of my first consulting roles was at uh, Trillium Hospital. And I was had the pleasure of working with Jennifer and she was just a powerful force back then. So I could only imagine. It only makes sense. Top 100 most powerful women. That makes sense. And we're oh. definitely going to unpack that, Jennifer. Um, mm. But let me let me first get some maybe background because I know yeah. a little bit about you because we were a little working, bit, yeah but mysterious you know, right yeah yeah it's well, mysterious so tell yeah. me yeah how did well, you get you know, to this point I think that you know my story is you know many people's story um that you know call Canada home I'm very aware of being a, a part of um an immigrant community who came here um, my parents emigrated from Trinidad and Tobago, where I was born, uh, in the late 60s. And uh, they're Grenadian, so I have to say that because they're not Trini, and you have to there's a competition. <laughs> and so ancestrally, I would say I'm Grenadian, but I was born in Trinidad. And my mom decided, actually, after she had her second daughter, I'm one of three children, um, that she wanted to move to a country where her daughters could have as much opportunity as possible. And um, she felt like Canada was the place. A lot of people were emigrating to the, to England at that time. But my mom, very, it was quite young, had just been married to my father a few years and decided to come to a country where she knew no one, had no contacts, um, you know, they had no money, they had no influence. But she felt that what she'd heard about Canada was it was like America, a little colder and a little better. And so she thought that was the place that we would we would go. And so we did come here um, uh, in the early 70s. And, you know, I've called uh, Mississauga and the areas around Toronto, around Mississauga home my, my entire life. So I am a girl of uh, the city, like most black Canadians. I've, I'm urban. I grew up in a I grew up in a very multicultural community here in Mississauga. It's Marlton, which I'm very proud of. And I feel like that gave me the underpinning that has carried me through life. That, that those first years in a community that embraced immigration, embraced new people coming in, was living a dream of being the first generation to do many things, really set the groundwork for who I became as I was older. 
And it also, I grew up with a group of people who believed in what we will call the Canadian dream, that you know, you could be the first generation to go to university to achieve things. So having that really positive mindset and a community that had that mindset has really informed how I live my life. And so I would say I spent my early years in Mississauga. I, when I finished high school, I was a really good student in high school. You um, were a really good student or you were not? I was, I was. Okay, I was okay. very <laughs> academically inclined and I really thought I was going to be a lawyer for a long time. Oh, really? Oh, I would love to be a lawyer and advocate for people. And, uh, you know, that that's sort of how I saw myself. Um, yeah. And I went to U of T and, uh, you know, I tried all kinds of different things. I actually studied political science and economics with, you know, a couple of other minors. But when I was at U of T, I wasn't sure if law was the right thing for me. So after I graduated, I decided, you know, I'm going to work for a year, see what that's like, save a little mm -hmm. bit of money. I was supposed to backpack through Europe like everybody was doing at that point. Right. Got a job. Okay. Okay. And I can't remember what my what they paid me, but it was more money than I ever thought I would get coming out of school. <laughs> so I decided, okay, I'm taking this job. Mm -hmm. We had a car allowance. That was like, you know, I had a little Toyota Corolla with bald tires and a radio that didn't work and a car allowance was like winning the lottery so i was <laughs> getting a new car i had a job i was still living at home so i felt like i was richer than anybody i knew yes working and one of the places i got a, a job out of university was the board of trade okay at the yeah. toronto board of trade I was in charge of membership for one of their one of their new clubs that they opened near the near the airport <laughs> And I lived in Mississauga, so I was in charge of building that membership. And that taught me so much, not just about, you know, working, but my community. Working at the border trade, you really sit at the center of policy that drives the economic engine of Toronto, the biggest in Canada. And I also saw what influence did, who had the influence, who had the power, where it sat, how decisions were made. And so I decided that I really wanted to be part of that world. I really wanted to be a, a person that could influence lives. And I just kept working, ended up not going back to law school and eventually uh, landed a job uh, at the Science Center. Okay. Science okay. Center. I love uh, the Science you know, Center. Was a magical place. Anybody that hasn't been there, I highly recommend it. I spent mm -hmm. five years working there. But how I got that job, it really has informed a lot about who I am, uh, how I how I uh, how I approach life, how I approach challenges, where I get my courage from. Yeah. So I get I, I get a call from a friend who is a board member there, um, and he says to me, "You have a new job opening up the, at the Science Center for a uh, a a director of our first capital campaign, and you do all kinds of volunteer work. You raise all kinds of money. You do great work in the community. I think you should go in. You should go for this job." And I say to him, what's a capital campaign? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, exactly. I, had no, I had no idea. And exactly. He, he gives me like sort of the, uh, I'll age myself, the Coles notes or the Wikipedia notes we would say now. Yeah. Say, okay, it sounds really intriguing. Don't know much about it. And I'll age myself again. I go to the reference library because you couldn't Google it. At the yes, time. yes, yes. And yes. I do a whole bunch of research on capital campaigns and what it takes to run one. And I realized right away, I'm in over my head. Like, mm -hmm. 
do not know enough. Yeah. One of the things I want to talk to this group about is courage and doing things before you're ready yeah. and putting up your hand uh, before you know everything, which is a huge barrier for young people, particularly women and particularly people of color. Mm -hmm. um, this idea that you have to know everything, be 100% and be perfect before you start is what holds a lot of people back. But mm -hmm. I grew up in a family and in a world where you are encouraged to stretch yourself. I played a lot of classical piano, not that well. Um, I had done a lot of singing mediocre. Mm -hmm. I had done a lot of public speaking that I excelled at. So I had tried a, a whole bunch of things in my life where I had succeeded and failed and failed forward or learned about myself. And I had looked at failure, especially when you do something like piano, where people are so much better than you will ever be, no matter how much you practice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you learn that you lean, you should lean in on your strengths often and not in on your weaknesses, right? No matter how I practice, I would not have been as good as these people. So in a way, I'm wasting my time. So when I get this opportunity at the Science Center, I decide, just go for it. What's the worst that can happen? So let me, let me pause right there. Um, and it's because uh, I can completely relate to what you're saying, Jennifer, uh, not from a personal perspective, because I'm a black man, but my wife, uh, black woman, uh, she is from Grenada. She also has a, a similar uh, upbringing and, and uh, she was made to give speeches at a, quite early and to do some extracurricular activities. My question is, um, did someone else have to, you had the courage and you were also encouraged. Did you have to be talked into it or did you come to that conclusion yourself? I know you did the research, but just table that with, was that a, an immediate, yes, let's do this? Or does someone have to encourage you some more? That's a great question, Carl. Mm -hmm. I think it's that somebody believed that I could do it. Okay, okay. And that, you know, had he not approached me, this board member, I would have never, I would have never applied because the, the, the gap was too big to me. Like, it was crazy. Like, I had done a lot of volunteer work. I had been very successful writing grants for organizations. I worked <laughs> in Carabana as a volunteer for many years. I was able to bring in sponsorship. I was able to bring in in-kind. I was hosting events, but also, and I'll talk about volunteerism and how important it is. I didn't look at that as skills that are that I was gonna use in my real life. I looked at that as my, as my hobbies. Interesting. And it was because he realized and he had the wisdom to say, your hobbies <laughs> are other people's careers and you should look at it that way. And so to answer your question, I would say just having that small bit of encouragement and somebody saying, I see it in you is so important. And that's why I mentor a lot of people because they just need that little bit of encouragement to say, I see something maybe you don't and you should go for it anyway. Okay. And okay. So I would say that's why I went for it. Had okay. I seen the ad posted, I wouldn't have done it. Interesting. But I joined apparently throngs of people going for this job. First time they've ever had a capital campaign. First time they've ever had a capital campaign manager. It's wow. the center. They're redoing the front of the building. They cannot fail. And so I go through this very, very long process of like 10 interviews and I get this job. Wow. The beginning, I did not know what the job description meant. And that just shows you that one, you know, 
courage is often is often um, rewarded, and you have to be courageous to get the big rewards. You know, big risk, big reward. And even though I wasn't ready, if you're ready to learn, if you're ready to be a student, if you're coachable, if you're if you're going to come well prepared, you can you can learn really quickly and catch up really quickly, which is what I had to do. I had to build a plane while flying the plane. Yes. And um, I moved on from there. Every place I've worked since has been aligned with my values, has been aligned with um, who I want to be when I am at work. So the Science Center was a fantasy place we used to go all the time when I was a kid. That's actually why I was attracted to it. I used yeah. to go every other weekend. And then I moved to the Royal Conservatory of Music, where I studied oh, for years. And then I moved to Trillium. <laughs> It's my home hospital. And then I moved to the Children's Hospital in, in, in Hamilton, McMaster Children's Hospital, where my son had been taken care of. And then I moved to a women's hospital, which speaks so deeply to who I am. So my values have been tied to my, my direction. And that has helped me in moments where the place or the people have let me down. Why I had been, why I had been attracted to that, to that organization had kept me stable when other things sometimes were not stable because I believed in those organizations. They were, I felt value, I was adding value to the work. And sometimes everything around you isn't adding value, but I felt the work I was doing and I am doing is always adding value. So that kept me strong in times when, you know, things were not great because I had like lots of experiences where things were not great. Um, but I always felt good about what I did. I never woke up in the morning and said, oh, I'm having such a difficult time at work and I hate where I work. I, I hate what I do. I never felt like that. I'm gonna ask you, um, speaking of volunteers and like fundraising campaigns, I'm, I'm curious, like, uh, especially in an organization perhaps doing the same thing for a long time, um, what tactics do you use to motivate, inspire, and um, bring awareness to like major fundraising campaigns? Well, I think, you know, uh, you're talking about fundraising. Fundraising is like every business. It is, it is accelerating and, and morphing and changing. And it's like, how can you, um, in fundraising, which is a not-for-profit world, uh, feel like you're working in the for-profit world, where you're, you're working at the pace of business? So digital transformation is happening everywhere. You guys work in this space. And it's how can you harness that for the not-for-profit world? How can you be part of the transformation of the not-for-profit world into a digital-first uh, environment where you do incredible experiences that way? Um, it's also being really entrepreneurial. I mean, there, you know, there's a way to do things the way everybody else has done it. And there's looking at great examples from outside your industry and saying, how can I incorporate those things and bring them into my industry to refresh it, to, to make it more responsive to where and relevant to where we are. So I think it's really not being siloed and keeping your head in the industry you're in, but taking all that you can from the industries around you to refresh what you're doing. Really thinking outside the box, I love it. It really is, it really is. Um, I would say the digital transformation and not losing that human touch are two things that are really at odds in a way with fundraising, which is supposed to be very high touch and very personal. And how can you do that when you're only, like for the last two years, we've only been digital. You know, we've been able to have events. We haven't had people tour our, our hospitals. We haven't had people 
in the way we we in the past. So how can you still have those nurturing relationships? Well, you got to bring video into it. You have to be very personal with email. You have to just change the way you do business, and that's what keeps it fresh. Mm -hmm. Gotta say that uh, you're you're here to me, Jennifer. I'm learning so much from this conversation. <laughs> um, let me uh, flip the script a little bit and ask you know who is your hero? Well, I gotta say it's it might sound boring, but my mom. Mm -hmm. It's because, you know, my mom, as I said at the beginning, came here knowing no one, um, not my mom's not highly educated, had no network and really found a way to make us feel like we were we belonged here as Canadians. You know, my mom often says I didn't really know I was black until I came to Canada. Interesting. Come from a country where you're the dominant race, nobody walks around going, you're racialized, you're black, you're in a minority, you're the majority. And so, although she realized when she came to Canada, we were now no longer the majority and we were a minority, she never made me feel like that was gonna hold me back. She never made me feel like because I was gonna be the only one. And I can tell you almost every space I've been in from going away to away camp and anybody that's West Indian knows that that is not an experience you get because Many people from the West Indies do not trust their children to be away from them for a weekend in the woods with other people. <laughs> do not have that experience in their childhood and they do not understand why people even want to do it. A lot of West Indians, it's, it's a bit of a cliche, but don't swim well because the sea is very dangerous, as my mom says in the West Indies, and you are not encouraged to go into the sea unless mm. you fish or you do work in the sea. So swimming is not something we do. So I was often the only one in many spaces. And my mom would always say to me, someone has to be first. Why not you? And you have to go because I couldn't go. These are the things I dreamed of. So my mom always made me feel like being the only one was special and that others would be able to follow if I went. She also said why not you you know when i said oh well i don't know anything about capital campaigns but she'd be like you're good at this you're good at this you're good at this and you can learn that you know she was really the first person and now there's books written about it that said if you're smart you can learn anything it's really uh, if you're a good person if you know how to learn you can teach people things it's about fit so my mom in her in her very basic way and she always said to me you're the only one that can put limits on you. If you tell yourself you can't do something, you won't be able to do it. So I have to say my mom is in my head all the time. When I have negative dialogue, which I know holds a lot of people back, I turn my mother on. And so she's my hero. She, she's your hero. And you also mentioned that you had mentors. And, yep. um, and you talked about courage and you uh, talked about some of the tactics that you had to lead on uh, as you work. Uh, I would like to know, you were working in a, in a sector that was going through some really difficult times, uh, particularly during, during COVID. Mm -hmm. How is it that you, what did you, uh, did, how is it that you managed continuing the what you're doing now during that mm -hmm. period? Who did you have to, uh, you know, engage, uh, lean on, and what was it? Courage, or was there any other concepts you had to use to get through those periods? 
Well, I think there's a combination of current courage and having a good plan, right? Okay. Okay. All the courage in the world cannot overcome poor planning um, and having the right team. I believe in people. Um, And I think, you know, if people, I think one of the things people uh, you're going to even ask about is like, what's the secret sauce? Like, what's the, what's the magic? And for me, it always comes back to the people, you know, institutions don't do things. People do things. Mm -hmm. Institutions don't support you, promote you, train you, mentor, mentor you. I love when people say, oh, they have a great mentorship program. Like a program comes in and and mentors you. Mm -hmm. I said, who mentors you created this program? Who are the people, right? And so I think during COVID, we galvanized our people. First of all, we aligned what we were doing with the greatest healthcare challenge of our time as the president and CEO of a frontline hospital foundation, Women's College Hospital, Mm -hmm. we were ground zero for fighting this pandemic. And I had to make my people feel like they were putting on their capes and, and being superheroes, fighting alongside, supporting them. So mm-hmm. as a leader, um, when you're in a crisis, you have to learn how to not manage people because it's much more difficult because we were all remote, yeah. but fire and lead people because they have to self-manage a lot more. So I would say, you know, our secret during the pandemic was to be very clear on what our purpose was, which was to support our hospital during their time of greatest need have a fantastic plan to be, not to shrink ourselves, but have a growth mindset. I, I believe so much in what you believe you become. And if you have a, it's a pandemic, no one's gonna wanna donate. Everybody's gonna be like too busy. Nobody's gonna care. Everybody's gonna hoard their money. That's what you're gonna put out there. But if you believe that people will wanna come to the support and aid of the hospital who serves people in our case, who are on, on the, on the edges and are the most marginalized. And you go out to the market and say, you will be making a difference and you believe you have a growth mindset, people will respond. And that's what happened. We had our best year ever, yeah. 2020. And a lot of people said, well, it's gonna be a one trick pony because it's, you know, the, it's the one year. We're having a better year this year because growth mindset and that alignment with our values and really having a focus and a plan that we could share with people, um, people believed and we were able to deliver on that plan. And my, my staff felt inspired to be on the side of a solution as opposed to, oh, there's nothing we can do. You yeah. said, you have power, you have agency, you are on the side of the angels, come with me and, and help. And that's yeah. what and you can tell that that worked. I mean, you certainly got recognized for that among the other things you must have been doing, but that's incredible to be recognized um, as a top performer during that period <laughs> in, a, in a sector that is was so challenged. Uh, so I just yeah. think that's absolutely amazing, Jennifer. Thank I'm you. just so impressed. Uh, were you leaning on um, any advice from, like, were you channeling uh, advice from your mom? Were you, did, no. you had mentors? Like, how is it that you kept your energy up then? Well, you know, you know, one of the things I believe, again, it's about people. You need your board of directors in your life, not mm-hmm. at work. Like most people work in companies, organizations that have a board of directors. I have a board of directors from my own life. Right. So I have people who um, advise me. I have people who support me. I have, you know, three or four CEOs that I call when I have, you know, I have questions. I have people in my personal life who work in different parts of different industries. I have one 
friend that does nothing but train people. And when I have HR issues, she's on speed dial. So I've surrounded myself with a few key people that are my go-to people outside of my organization. So I have sounding boards. I also have a few truth tellers. I have a few people in my life because once you become very senior, people are afraid to tell you the truth. Uh, people don't want to either disappoint you. Uh, there's a power imbalance and they feel like they can't. So I have a few people in my life who I say, you know, when I get out, get outside the lines, when I get offside, you're the one that has to tell me the truth. And that helps a lot, especially the more senior you become. You don't want to become, you know, um, disengaged or biased or have all your blind spots and no one challenges you. You need those people in your life that challenge you, challenge you and say, no, you're offside here. Yes. Or you're blind to this. Yeah, really important. So I have my little board of directors who I go to for different things. And, you know, they tell me the truth. I, I love that. I, I love the fact that you have a personal board of directors. And it reminds you of how my parents would say, you know, surround yourself by good friends, right? Your friends are yeah. who you are. Uh, yeah. so that's and they should be truth tellers. You know, your friends, your friends, I also say to myself, talk to yourself as you would talk to your friends, because that's one of the most uh, difficult things, especially when you're an only in an environment, you're by yourself or you fail at something, the negative talk really does so much damage on your psyche. So I often say to people, when you do something that you fail at, or you haven't lived up to your own expectations, talk to yourself the way you would talk to a friend if they were telling you this, instead of saying, can't believe it, you've totally failed. Talk to yourself in that same way that you would talk to your friend. You'd be like, yeah, it wasn't your best day, but blah, 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 blah. The same thing with my board of directors. They're kind, but when I completely get out of line or I completely miss the show, as my friend would say, uh, they tell you. You know, I had a friend just tell me the other day, I was going back and forth on whether or not I was going to do something. And he finally said to me, it sounds like you just don't have the courage not to be liked. So he goes, if you're not going to admit that, fine, but that's what it's about. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Speaking of truth and board of directors, um, be it a personal as well as a professional one, yeah, I couldn't agree more how invaluable uh, that is to kind of be our mirrors, so to speak, on, or they know us, the reflection ourselves, okay. help us see the, the, the pitfalls that we may not see. Um, changing the script again on that, uh, speaking of truth, is there a truth that you know dear to your heart that no one else agrees with you on? Anything that come to mind? A truth that I know no one, uh, no one agrees with me on. I would say this, not no one agrees, but often people will say you can't be it until you see it. Hmm. And I don't believe that because I was the first black woman to lead a health a hospital foundation or a healthcare executive ever in Canada. That's what people told me when I got this job. And I, so I'd never seen it. And you don't always have to see it. As my mom would say, somebody has to be first. So I don't believe you have to see it. I, have, I think you have to see maybe aspects of it. I think you have to have people that support you and say it's possible, but that whole, it cannot be achieved unless you see it. Well, then there'll be so many things, people of color and women and people who are disabled and 2SLGBTQ people never do because it has not been done yet. So. Mm -hmm. I I'm not a fan of that saying. 
Because I'm living proof that it's not true. Most of what Carl and I are doing now is uh, based on those principles of just trying something, you know, and a vision or exactly. an idea. Even exactly. if the, the, the waters are, are streaming the other way, we go against the grain. Exactly. <laughs> Anybody that's doing something for the first time hasn't seen it. And once it's been done, of course, more and more people do it. But if we truly, if I truly believe that I could not get this job as the president and CEO of Women's College Hospital because there had never been another Black person get this job, then I wouldn't have applied. And I would not be here. I had never seen it. I believed it could be done. And I went for it. And then now somebody else can say, I now have seen a president and CEO that looks like me. But we cannot let that adage of you have to see it to believe it hold us back. It can be, it's better to have it, but it, you have to believe you can achieve it, even if you're the first. I've been following your career, Jennifer, for a while, <laughs> since, since we worked together way back then. And I was just in, quite impressed. I imagine um, trying to navigate, to go look back and say, okay, it kind of makes sense of it in this way. Um, and so if you had to give advice to others, like how to get there, you've given such um, amazing um, thoughts already, but... Does it make sense to pack you went? Like the hobbies you took made sense to this and it begets that and it begets that? Like, um, how could you tell others, hey, this is probably a great option or a way to get to where I need to go? Well, you know, I think, you know, it's as individual, your path is as individual as everybody, anybody's could be, because we're all very unique. But there are certain things I believe that you need to have in your world in order to be successful. I really believe in volunteerism. And it's not just because I work in not-for-profit, but because it gives you opportunities to um, try things safely, to learn things uh, without having to pay to learn them mm -hmm. and to life experiences that you may not have otherwise that you can use in your career. So it's a really safe journey. And it also is a journey of self-discovery. You also get to be in new networks. Can you imagine if you're not handy, I'm not handy, but I joined Habitat for Humanity as a volunteer, you end up meeting a whole bunch of people that you may not come in contact with. So it expands your world. So I believe anybody that's serious about networking and about really learning new skills in a way that is very accessible, volunteerism for me has been a pathway. Had I not volunteered at Caravana for five years and learned how to write proposals and run events. I could have never applied for that job at the Science Center. In fact, it was that volunteer role, which was my biggest ace in the hole to get that big job that I thought was so out of reach. So I think people really underestimate the power of the skills you learn as a volunteer. Mm -hmm. I think mentorship is important. I think people can look for mentorship in peers as well as people above them. And even with they was people that are, are not at the same level. I learn a lot from the younger mentor, people I mentor, mm -hmm. keeps cool and hip and relevant. Mm -hmm. So I think that having mentors at different ages and stages and not just looking always for the most senior person, you can look for excellent people who are doing things at your level that you can still get mentorship for. And I would say the big one is I have always, always gone the path less traveled. Um, and I always say that's from my mom coming to a country where she didn't even realize it snowed for five months. My father <laughs> didn't have to work in the winter because uh, he couldn't imagine that people actually got up every day and went to work in the snow. 
um, and going and being that brave, I've always said that those are my ancestors that I'm carrying with me. So I would say looking for those paths less traveled and not being afraid of them and not being afraid because you fail at them, that's just redirection. If you fail at something, that's just redirecting you to something else. Um, so those are my things and pay attention to your values. When you go places that are not aligned with your values and the people are not aligned with your values, it's probably the worst situation. I, I've done that more than once in my career. I've gone for the paycheck or the great name of the company or organization thinking that would make me happy. And in the end, it didn't. And that's why value alignment and aligning yourself with people who care about you and your development are key. I'm sensing a, a recurring theme here and just the overall spirit and aura. Uh, if you had to write a book tomorrow, um, what would you write about, Jennifer? I am writing a book. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I have an idea for a book. And it is going to be about this idea of being a values-driven, courageous person, um, how people can lead that way. Because I think that there are so few... Um, particularly diverse leaders. So it's going to be about being first, the only person sometimes, and diverse, the mantle of doing that, how to do that well, and some of the lessons that I've learned along the way in doing that. So a lot of what we've talked about here, um, how to overcome some of the systemic issues that we all face as diverse people, the barriers, the concrete ceilings, you know, how to open a door when the, when, you know, the open a window when the door closes. I, I want to give people a little bit of a roadmap on my journey and many other people's journeys so that they can see themselves because in many cases, as I've said, there is no one to see and we need to sort of bring those people together. So that's, that's what I would be writing about. Fantastic. I look forward to reading it when it comes out. <laughs> I, I hope so. Everybody has to buy one. <laughs> I, I cannot, I cannot wait, Jennifer. And you got to be on this show oh, I when will, the book comes out so we can, you Carl, know, I cannot Carl wait. knows that I, uh, I've been a fan of his since, uh, since before the gray and the beard. <laughs> <laughs> I always had a beard, but it was Always more, had a beard. But yeah, it was always I like how you batted the gray though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the kids did that. The kids did that. Um, no, I, man, I just can't wait. I, I actually, we, we were just connecting with someone who just wrote a book. Uh, have you heard of Steve Anderson? I've heard He's a, yeah, he just, if you can read his book, what's his book, Sean? Um, Driven to Succeed. Driven to Succeed. Driven to su yes, I've heard yeah. of the book. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a deputy mate of Shelburne, but he was a lawyer and he has a um, Jamaican Canadian background and talked about his journey as well. Uh, yeah. Great book to read, um, but looking forward for you one when you're ready to read. Yeah, you know, that. people need to have a plan. You know, people think your life happens to you organically. Um, and you need short-term and long-term, not just goals, but plans. And you have to be flexible. You have to sometimes, like I say, look at that redirection. If things are not going the way you expected, you have to be open to like, what's the world telling me? Like, you know, a bit of like, where should I be moving? And uh, so having a plan is key because no one's coming to save you. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's the big, you know, I, I particularly find with young people, they expect people to sort of give them the plan and tell them what to do. And you have to actually live the plan and uh, you have to save yourself. You know, there are many times that I've been in, you know, really challenging situations 
um, where I've been. I was in a job where I was ostracized because I was, I, I believe, speaking the truth. And having that network outside of the, the place I was working that could be my advocates and my allies um, really helped me. They came into the room with me when I, I needed them and they were in the room when I wasn't there. And that is so important. That's why having good people all around you all the time, inside and outside your organization, peers, people above you, people that are not even in your industry is so, so important. Totally understand. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Oh man. Um, it seems like with a lot of what you've said today, just as has it having me reflect on my own life and my own goals. And I, I, I find you incredibly inspirational, Jennifer. <laughs> Thank um, you. Yeah, this has been a really, really good conversation. Well, I didn't want to disappoint Carl, you know, he's... <laughs> <laughs> got to come correct, Jennifer. No, no, come on. No, no, I don't. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I paid her to say that. I paid her to say yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I rarely get nervous, but when you know somebody for like 20 years and they ask you on their show, you're mm. like, want to disappoint them <laughs> not at all yeah. so awesome and i know our guests will love it too so um there you have it folks um thank you again jennifer for for joining us today uh carl brother man you know it's a peach as always as always good to see you man <laughs> don't forget and, to uh, shop in my driveway show yeah <laughs> mine too now i gotta get the voice to do it <laughs> I take a few days till it warms back up, but I'll be there. Okay, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so for all our fans out there, you know, stay cool, everybody. And remember, you can live your life as is, or you can chase a dream of where you want your future to be. Peace. Peace. <laughs>